Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, one of the things that I, I experienced, I moved from the U.S. Um, into Singapore about 15 years ago now, and <clears throat> I made a ton of mistakes. I, I brought my business model, my ideas from the States, and I tried to apply them here. It, it Oftentimes, just there are differences from a communication standpoint. We can talk about examples of that. From a working style standpoint, from a structural infrastructure standpoint, there are differences that mean that you have to be very much open to seeing what those things are because it's so easy to be blinded by what we're used to. Uh, When problems pop up, you typically fall back and solve problems from experience that you're used to. But it's about kind of breaking out of some of those mindsets to be able to solve those problems. And what I found as the longer I lived overseas was the more and more companies and individuals that would come over here and set up a shop, you know, set up a business or, or expand a business. I found that they were making the exact same mistakes over and over again. That was the voice of Kyle. And Kyle's then is helping organizations adapt across a shrinking planet. What we do is dive into how to remain globally minded, yes, even in a pandemic-driven world. His book is called The Accidental Business Nomad, and the book is out, and I'll put that in the show notes. But I think it's really interesting to hear journeys of how people learned how to expand their worldviews. As you know, I believe that worldviews is a combination of lived experiences plus exposure. And so as many of you are working on expanding your worldviews, I hope that you are thinking about expanding your lived experiences and your exposure levels. His book is one of those ways to help you figure out how to do that. And he talks about different business concepts. He's done a lot of research uh, across cultures, and he distills it in a way that's very easy to digest. Check out the episode and make sure you get his book. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's guest is Kyle Hagerty. Now, he's the author of The Accidental Business Nomad, a survival guide for working across a shrinking planet. And what he does is pretty fascinating to me, and I'm sure a lot of you will be interested. He enables businesses to maximize their global leadership potential from startups to Fortune 500 companies We need more global leadership now than ever. Kyle empowers leaders and teams to find new ways to communicate and lead across our shrinking planet. His programs help clients increase business across regions, strengthen teams, build trust, and refocus company cultures towards global innovation. Very excited to have you on the show as 
you know, these are unprecedented times. So I'm curious to hear your insights. Yeah, thank you so much for for the invite and uh, look forward to this chat. Looking forward to it. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, I just have to tell you something about Kyle. He's known as the uh, Indiana Jones of international business. So if we <laughs> come across certain, you know, pauses or you, you hear anything that might be frightening, it's because we came across a snake. And so he was like, ah. But other than we, uh, that, he's, he's fearless. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, it's funny. We so I'm I'm based here in Singapore, and uh, with the with the lockdown, the wildlife is coming back here like it is everywhere else. And uh, we we came across a black spitting cobra a week and a half ago in our journeys. So like you, you literally, that's what uh, that's what happens. I'm, I'm not sure that gives me Indiana Jones credit, but uh, I'll I'll take it whatever I can get it. Hey, from what I can remember in the movie, he's deathly afraid of snakes. By the way, I am also afraid of snakes. They, I, I don't understand their existence, but I know that <laughs> I know there's a there's a purpose. But uh, let's let's dive into your story. Let's slither into your story, if you will, and hiss our way through the the hiccups and adventures. But can you take me back to your early memories? Because you know, someone that embarks on helping businesses on a global level. I'm always curious about where that story could have, you know, come about and what awakened that passion in you. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question because I come from uh, so my my father is Irish. So he's I'm American. I was born in America. My father's from Ireland. My mother's American. I think there was always a bit of that um, European call it feel in the household in terms of two different cultures going on from that standpoint. I, you grow up in it, you don't really think about it. But it, I, I think I had the travel bug from early on and and going through schools. I was always, you know, my, my education, I was always interested in the international angle of things. Um, so, so I think that that's probably how this started. Quite frankly, I didn't have an interest, uh, like a natural interest in cultural differences. Uh, I I didn't. I wasn't overly interested uh, in in like Southeast Asia. You know, there's some people that you meet who just they just discover a, a culture and they just go all in. You know, that all of a sudden it's just they go off and become fluent in Japanese and you never see them again. Uh, that was not me. I, I, I it's not. I, I wasn't against any of it. I just didn't have that passion. Mm. The reason the book is called The Accidental Business Nomad is because. I, in many ways, accidentally got into this global role. And I, and I think that there's a lot of people that are like that as well. So in other words, there are people who, you know, going about their careers, trying to make stuff happen. And all of a sudden, they started noticing that there's more and more uh, overseas interactions happening. So they're, they're all of a sudden, they're working with people from different parts of the world, uh, oftentimes over Skype conversations, Zoom conversations, et cetera, remotely. Uh, but the trend accelerated over the last certainly two decades. Uh, and so, so you know, I, I've had this kind of international angle, but it, but it wasn't I don't think it was coming from this, you know, hugely passionate standpoint. It was more about it was almost like kind of thrust upon me. Mm. That's, that's a little bit different. No, I love yeah. that because sometimes with you know, passions and, and callings, you find yourself in the position yeah. where it is thrust upon you. And the accidental uh, nomad, I do like the title. I think a lot of people also find, you know, their purpose by saying, oh, it was, you know, it was an accident. You know, I just it came across right. this and this, this awakened that. Okay, so now 
the fascinating thing about what you're doing, especially now where essentially the whole world is in lockdown. So I'm sure someone's listening and they're saying, well, so how can I have a global business right now? You know, what can I do if I actually want to be involved right. in a career that involves, I guess, travel and 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 uh, working across that? How would you respond yep. to that? Yeah, I, th- I think that in in the long term, a, a lot of the stuff will come back. I mean, it, it might not look and feel the same, but we we are a global tie globally tied planet. Uh, and I don't think that's going back into the bottle. Um, the pressures towards local localization, also in a protectionist standpoint, nationalism can can sometimes tip to a, a negative connotation on that. There, there are big trends towards things going back inward facing more domestic. At the same time, from an entrepreneurial level, that's the opportunity to look the other way. Uh, with the internet, with the way that you and I are having this conversation 10,000 miles away seamlessly for free uh, is is the future. Uh, trade is going to look different in the future than it has been. There's, I, I've always th- thought about it visually, you know, when you think about globalization, almost every article you'll ever see is uh, ships filled with cargo, you know, those colorful... Um, cargo containers. The the real future of globalization are the uh, fiber optic cables underwater underneath those ships. That's the data. That's the ideas flowing back and forth. So for people that are interested and passionate about thinking about working more in a global perspective, I think that there's probably been no better time than now and in the next few years to be able to head down that path because the skill sets that are needed to be able to navigate through that are different than working domestically. And that's what I've been focusing on. So I I think that there's huge potential for people that have this passion you know, does it mean that you're going to be able to jet set around like and, and kind of gallivant around the way we have been for the last couple of decades? Maybe not. Obviously, in the short term, no, we don't know what this is turning into. But I think the fact that globalization is really a digital story moving forward and people need to think about that from a career standpoint. I, lo- I love that. And you brought up skill sets there. So you believe that up to 70% of the international ventures fail today due to cultural issues. There's so, there's a couple, yeah, go sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I it was that I was just curious. I, I want to hear why that's so and how come many businesses become a casualty like that. So one of the things that I I experienced, I moved from the US um, into Singapore about 15 years ago now, and <clears throat> I made a ton of mistakes. I, I brought my business model, my ideas from the States, and I tried to apply them here. It, it Oftentimes, just there are differences from a communication standpoint. We can talk about examples of that. From a working style standpoint, from a structural infrastructure standpoint, there are differences that mean that you have to be very much open to seeing what those things are because it's so easy to be blinded by what we're used to. Uh, When problems pop up, you typically fall back and solve problems from experience that you're used to. But it's about kind of breaking out of some of those mindsets to be able to solve those problems. And what I found as the longer I lived overseas was the more and more companies and individuals that would come over here 
and set up a shop, you know, set up a business or, or expand a business, I found that they were making the exact same mistakes over and over again. And if you are, an, and, and I'll give you an example of that, which would be um, a company comes over from, let's say, let's say it's a tech company. They put a flag down, they open up an office, regional office in Singapore for, for Southeast Asia. They're US based, they do things in a very US based way. Uh, forget about what the product or service does. Let's just say that the way the company is structured is very flat hierarchy. They call each other by the first names. It's considered a, you know, everybody has the, the same right to communicate ideas and, and you know, no, no, there's no bad ideas, right? Companies over and over again hit a wall when they come into other parts of the world because of these different hierarchies that exist and these different uh, behaviors, education styles. And, 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 and we can talk about data that, that backs this up, right? Because you have to be very careful when you start talking about generalizations like this. But what I found was that in this example, companies come in, they expect a flat hierarchy in terms of mindset, and they encounter the exact opposite. So that would be one example of, of things that uh, I think the faster people have that understanding, the faster they can start looking at specific ideas to be able to overcome that as one, as one example. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because on a, you know, common sense level, people would think, oh, of course I would never try that with any of these businesses. I mean, every business has a different culture, but it does happen so often. I, I, you know, I see it in the field of work that I do. And mm -hmm. even on a local basis, you could be North, uh, you know, the, the North versus the South or the East yep. versus the West or LA yep. versus New York. And on that granular level, you, you find some people, some people more formal here or finance yes. going into accounting and all that. And I then I'm curious about the invisible, what you call the invisible language of cultural yeah. uh, misunderstandings, because that, by the way, what you described, someone could listen to it and say, wow, well, that's intimidating. I, I'm not even yes. a communicator. I just want to get my profits. Or exactly. I just want to, <laughs> I've got an idea. Yeah. Let's go sell it. Right. Yeah. So how would you talk to that person who is trying to figure out the nuance of this culture misunderstanding? So the first, the first biggest problem is trying to make sure that people understand the nuance in the first place. Uh, it, it's getting people from that stage where they don't know what they don't know to the fact of acknowledging that they're in over their heads or there's stuff going on that they don't necessarily understand. Uh, and you'd be very surprised at the amount of people that venture into new markets with very uh, tunnel vision ideas about how they want to do things, how it's going to be, they know best. Uh, and, and you can just rattle off examples of companies that have made this mistake. I'm The, the book that I wrote was deliberately done not to name and shame anybody. I, I kind of shuffled the deck and, and made up um, a bunch of characters based on real stories. Uh, or, or I took real characters and I kind of twisted them enough so that they couldn't be identified in their real <laughs> form, right? Uh, yeah. Because I'm not here to like point out and just because so many companies make this mistake. With that said, there's a couple of high named companies that I think are worth, you know, mentioning just because it's it's um it's public knowledge and it's not uh, anything overly surprising. But like recently, 
Uber would be a really good example of a company that didn't do Southeast Asia and other parts of the world correctly, or, or they didn't get it right. And, and the proof is the fact that they are no longer here. Uh, they, they had to leave. They spent a lot of money. They had to basically cut deals to be able to partner and, and exit uh, a lot of parts of Europe, Russia, almost all of Southeast Asia. They applied the same model and they tried to expand it in almost a cut and paste type of way. And the local companies who were competing against that in almost literally drove circles around them because they had a different approach. They had a localization, a knowledge and strategy that that beat them. And, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar example of how this stuff goes so wrong. So there's, you know, going back to that 70% of, of overseas ventures fail because of the culture stuff. I think that would be a really good example of that. And, and you know, the billion dollar stories are there and the much smaller stories are there. Yeah. Uh, as, yeah. 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 No, no, I was, I was just agreeing because I'm very curious then about then what would be the actionable strategy then? What would be the best way to build these skill sets to navigate that yep. and great question yeah. so um so and that and that's that's yeah that that's what we're all trying to figure out um a couple of things so as i'd i'd mentioned the first thing that we want to do is get people through that journey as quickly as possible of getting to the point where you go okay let me at least acknowledge the fact that i don't know what i don't know now what do i start doing about that um to me it goes back to communication it goes back to building relationships with local uh, people who who have an understanding of of what's going on, and to, that's where the creativity and innovation comes in. So, uh, and 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 you know, I, I talk about this in the book. I was pretty much guilty of not doing this in a lot of cases, and so that ended up costing me, you know, business and and money and and sanity. But what I would say is, you've got to spend more time focused on relationships rather than focused on the business goals. And that's kind of a counterintuitive lesson. And it's something that personally I find incredibly difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm a task-based person. I focus on business. I, I focus on, you know, what's the plan? How can we go out and deliver it? Who can I hire? Wh- who can I partner with to get this done? I don't need to like the person. I just need to know that they're going to be responsible and accountable. But it turns out that all of those things that I just said are not how everybody else operates. Uh, There are very different working styles that are out there where people would say almost the exact opposite of what I just said, which is, no, 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 let's, I I need to get to know you first. I need to understand your background. I want to, I want to know more about your family. Uh, Let's, let's get to know one another before we do any of this stuff. Yeah. And for people that are more task driven, that's a very tough pill to swallow when they have tight deadlines, high expectations, and oftentimes, you know, uh, people who have um, very short timeframes where they're looking for results. And, and that I think is where the, the big problem happens in a lot of these businesses. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I'm hearing what you're saying here, and it sounds like there's a 
very deep need to understand people. Is, is that correct? I think that was my big takeaway, which was yeah. just like, you know, and, and I know that it sounds somewhat cliche, but like you, you really have to, it, it's a, it's a people driven business. Uh, most businesses are in existence because of the people, not because of the product. And you've got to get the people part of this thing, right. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit like this was, this does not come naturally to me. There are probably people listening who are going, yeah, that's so obvious. Um, you know, what the hell is this, what the hell is this guy's problem? But a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of people from the West, again, I'll, I'll use some generalizations here, but a lot of the companies that expanded into new markets, who do they nominate to either go over or to run the international programs? They nominate go-getters, uh, dominant personality types, people that are very task-focused, competitive, demanding, uh, outgoing. They talk first and listen second. And where are they going to? They're going into markets that have traits of exactly the opposite, more relationship-based. Uh, things happen a little bit more slowly. Oftentimes, in some of these emerging markets, they're more risk-averse. Singapore is a perfect example of that. Very conservative in terms of how they make uh, business decisions. You'll you'll notice, you know, during the pandemic response, we're we're still in full on lockdown. They're opening up lockdown this coming Tuesday, and it, everybody's kind of snickering and joking about it because there's no real change happening at all. They're saying that the lockdown is done, but. The, we're still not really allowed to go anywhere. So uh, this is like this is like the most slow, conservative easing out of uh, restrictions as you as you will see. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I, I've I've been hearing a lot about that, and I've been it's actually been a curious case study for me to study how a lot of uh, the what people will call I guess uh, the eastern part of the world, even though that's yeah. marginal, uh, is is. Uh, reacting to this as opposed to the, uh, the Western part. So I would say the collectivist versus the individualist. And, and it's, yep. it's very, it's very interesting where a lot of the country's strong individuals yep. values feel threatened <laughs> by the, yeah. the infringement I, of the oh, so-called infringement. And I'm like, wait, it, this is bigger than you, but countries yeah. like Asia are like, oh yeah, you know, we always think about we anyway. So Right, right. I mean, and so, and just to take a step back, so like for for people, so the thing that that I stumbled into years ago was all of these studies and the research that's been done. I'm not a researcher by by nature, but I'm I'm curious, and I did read up on a bunch of stuff. And there's there's been decades of research that's done that look at all of the things that we've been talking about, which is different working styles, different communication styles. You mentioned individualism versus collectivism. That's one of the big ones. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Uh, how hierarchies are perceived varies yeah. considerably. And, and what I liked about the research is that it basically tries to measure this stuff. You know, I keep using that word uh, invisible. Uh, and so what what the researchers have done is they're trying to put some definition to this invisible stuff. Hierarchy in many ways is an invisible concept. I mean, it's a human kind of construct, right? Like, like I, I know hierarchy exists across nature, but like we, we seem to put this stuff upon ourselves. <laughs> and and I, I think about it sometimes I, I was in years ago, I was down in Australia uh, at a, at an AFL an Aussie football match chatting up with this guy and uh, I'm looking over it at these Australian cat and they're just staring at me and I'm going, why is everybody looking at me? And it turned out I was talking to like the retired Michael Jordan of AFL and I had mm -hmm. no idea about this guy's role, this guy's status. And I think the reason he was talking to me was because I was the only person there who didn't give a hell, didn't give a crap about, you know, what, what the, he was up to. I think he kind of enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> But then, of course, the second I found out that he was this big deal, I like I, I kind of my Nate, my behavior changed. You know, you know what I mean? Like and, and that to me is an example of this weird, invisible hierarchy stuff that happens. Um, but anyway, going back to the, the, the research. So there's all this stuff that's happened. They're trying to measure these differences in different parts of the world. And for a person like me, for people that are looking to. Um, work or communicate with people from different parts of the world, I think looking into this research, this data is a really helpful starting point to get a better idea of what these differences are all about. Uh, you can argue about it all day long. You can, you, you know, there's, ex uh, you know, you, you can, you can say, well, this is, this doesn't help me at an individual level. It, this is macro data that looks at things like how hierarchy is perceived in different countries, how collectivism versus individualism is, is perceived and, and, and handled in different parts of the world. Um, I've found it as a very helpful starting point. And so what I recommend for people, and this is what I do with the work that I, uh, the coaching and the consulting is I sit down with teams and I just show them the data as it relates to their team, to their situation. Maybe it's their customers. And as a starting point, it's a really good place to begin a conversation. And that's all I want. I want us to use that as like one talking point. 
Do you agree with this? Do you disagree? Why? There's not necessarily right or wrong answers, but at least we're having more educated and I think more intelligent conversations about these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I love that you have that. You have that to your science, but the yeah. art and science of personality profiling, speaking of science, yep. uh, is, uh, is also something you discuss in the book. And, and you talk about a quick shortcuts to understanding people. Now, you mentioned one of those already. What are some of the other things that you found have worked when you're trying to read people? Yep. Especially, you know, across cultures. Yeah. So I um, I came across, as I said, I, I and again, this is not my research. This is research that's been done by smarter people than me. Um, what, I, what I wanted to do was to try and articulate it through examples and stories, because for the, for the people that aren't going to sit through and read a 500 page academic uh, research about all of the, you know, all of these regression analyses that was done. And uh, some of these books are have incredible information in them, but my God, they're hard to get through. So what I was trying to do is say, look, I'm going to go through and do all the hard lifting here and try and boil this down to essentially a after work barroom conversation. In fact, there's a whole chapter where it's literally a, a guy who probably had too many cocktails trying to explain uh, some of this, how this, how this cross-cultural data uh, is, is relevant to individuals. So anyway, that, that, that's like the, the cross-cultural side. The other piece that I got into was the individual behavioral piece. And I do look at some of the research and some of the systems and models that are out there that I think are helpful as ways to be able to start to define different behavior types. If you can understand what those different behavior types are, similar to the culture stuff that we've already talked about, you can start putting people and kind of getting a better sense as to what motivates them, what demotivates them, how they like to communicate, how they don't. The example I gave earlier of the behavior types of someone like me, uh, pretty pretty driven, pretty competitive, pretty much uh, task-based but there are other people who have behavior types that are complete opposite. And so if you can understand that, it's a much better starting point to build a relationship. Um, my, you know, I, I think about personal relationships and to be able to put yourself in the shoes of that other person is a critical skill to have if you want to have an effective communication or relationship with somebody. And again, I'm, you know, I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit. Like I, this didn't come naturally to me. And I found that the models that were out there, the frameworks were really helpful ways to start understanding that. And I'm just, you know, let's let smarter people help me kind of, uh, fast track this. And, and, and that's, that's what I love doing. So two tools that we've talked about now, one is this cross-cultural data but then the second area would be the individual data. I'm talking about systems like the Big Five, which is probably the most popular in terms of um, behavioral psychologists. DISC, actually, I get into details with that, which it's you know it's got its gaps. It's it, this is not hard, uh, hundred percent proven science, but it's a great starting point to be able to understand people. And, and, and read them to be able to adjust to different situations. So those are kind of two, two areas that I get into and talk about in the book. 
Uh, well, this is this is good. I mean, if anyone is listening, you haven't found enough of a reason to buy the book yet. This is one, you know, because this is a skill that's translatable anywhere. And as you pointed out earlier, the world is becoming a shrinking village. <laughs> yeah. uh, as you said, it was just that's the first time I've ever heard it described that way. Uh, so uh, I, I love it. And we as as big as the world is, it is getting smaller. Yeah, it's getting small. And and that's causing, you know, and that's good and bad. Uh, The shrinking planet is bad because COVID-19 spreads like water, you know, wildfire uh, across uh, large continents. Now, you know, that uh, pandemics in the past have done similar things, but never to the speed at which this is this has happened. Uh, And that is a result of a shrinking planet. Um, The good news is that if you are entrepreneurial, if you are thinking about your career and you just look at at the population metrics and the data that's out there, a majority of young people on the planet are not based in the United States. They're not based in Western Europe. They're based in Southeast Asia. That you know, We're talking about China. We're talking about India. We're talking about Africa the opportunities from a just a pure numbers standpoint of people that are going to want stuff, whether it's consumer stuff or if they're going to need help. <laughs> those, yeah. those people, those opportunities are global. And the people I think who have that mindset are the ones that are going to be able to find uh, a ton of ways to be able to have careers Again, whether it's private sector, public sector, uh, we a shrinking planet solves and creates a ton of new <laughs> problems and opportunities. <laughs> that that's you know that's the, the interesting dichotomy with that, and yeah, it's a paradox as much. It is, uh, and I think yeah. I think what we're finding right now is that you know the it's now the it's now the bad, it's the villain at this moment. Um, globalization has certainly a negative connotation and, and for many reasons, uh, or for many, yeah, many reasons, it's, that's fair. That's a, that's a fair accusation. Uh, this hasn't been a pretty ride, but it has been for some people. Uh, and, you know, is globalization going away? No, I don't think it is at all. I, I just think it's evolving and it's most certainly going digital. So, Again, you know, I'm kind of repeating myself, but I, I see that as the big macro trend that people could be thinking about and adjusting towards. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, one of the things that I remember when globalization first started becoming like the consciousness of the, uh, you know, into the consciousness of the world, it was, I used to, I used to hear about call centers and jobs being, you know, taken away and sent to yep. other parts of the world. You though you believe that we can learn something about communication from them? Well, so my, and I was part of that. Uh, I my my background is I was in Boston. I was working for a marketing company, and essentially we were a high end call center. And you'd uh, you'd be looking at this was the early two thousands, and I, I was selling call center solutions basically, like you know people seats. Uh, and I'm I'm there. I'm I'm going okay. Here's our monthly price and. I'm starting to talk to companies and they're going, well, wait a minute, I've, I've got a quote here for four times less what you're talking about. Why, why, would, I, why would I work with you guys? Uh, we can do this in the Philippines. We can do this in India. And 
the call center seats uh, started disappearing very quickly in the U.S. in Western Europe in in, in you know between like the late '90s and, and 2000s, um, and and many many would say, okay, that's a good thing because nobody wants to be bothered. But of course, it made it worse because you could uh, spend the same amount of money, and instead of one one seat, you could put five or ten. And so that's why everybody's getting bothered so much, uh, you know, with, with these um, cold calls, which can get very annoying. And that's even gone even worse with robocalling now. But the industry itself was certainly moving that back office uh, BPO, so back office um, d- systems and work rapidly went overseas. In some cases, it worked. In some cases, it worked really well. In other cases, it didn't work. And so I'm, I, I go through and I talk about some of those stories of, you know, what was working, what what wasn't working, why, where's it going now? You're, you're seeing a lot of this stuff coming back to a degree or at least being more regionalized. And again, I, I see opportunities there. I'm, I'm not here to say like there's one answer that's better or worse than others. I'm What I'm interested in is, individuals developing skills to be able to see that and adapt to it and be flexible towards saying, okay, well, it seems like, you know, this business is going to move from a global idea to more of a regional idea. Well, there's still going to be a lot of differences and challenges to figuring out what that's going to look like. Uh, and you know, what, how, how do you even do that? So I, I still see, um, whether things are going more globally dispersed, or if they're even pulling back to a degree, um, this communication piece of the puzzle is becoming more and more important. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's, uh, I I think about the world often just because of, (laughs) especially with 2020, but with the rapid innovation that comes about. And I'm very, very, I guess, inspired. (laughs) By by how people can come up with ideas in random places, and it's one of my favorite things to read. You know, I'll be reading Forbes or something on you know a podcast. I've been doing a podcast since 2014, and I'll mm. be interviewing them, and they'll say like, you know, I just you know I was a spark of innovation, mm. <laughs> and so when when I was going through your 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 notes and and, and uh, you know the the bullet points, you also seems to have an idea about inspiration, innovation in the most unlikely places. In the most unlikely places is absolutely sure. And this will, will I'll, I'll give a uh, trigger warning right now because they some some of these places are uh, are not the most politically correct stories. And, and <laughs> I, the, the book got delayed because of uh, lawyers having to spend extra time vetting stuff and figuring out what I could and can't, couldn't talk about. But uh, the I'll give you one weird example, which was we had this was years ago. This so this is a long time ago before a lot of the uh, websites that could do help. You know, you could you could find um, contractors anywhere in the world, right? The Upworks of the world didn't exist. We got a request from a big company to do this last minute translation project, and. They needed us to translate a document into Thai for an event in like three days. And their translation company of choice gave them a two or three week time frame to get it done. 
they came to us and just said, hey, can you do this? We know like this was kind of, you know, you joked about the Indiana Jones stuff. This, like we, we just said yes to anything like, and then figured and then had to try and figure out stuff. Uh, they came to us and said, can you do this in like two or three days? I said yes. And we go, oh, oh, OK, so everybody into the conference room. Uh, how the heck do we do this? Does anybody know any Thai people? At the, at the time, we had no Thai representation. And so this was and again, like I'm, I'm not uh, I'll just tell this story. You can you can judge it for any way because this is a pretty male dominated group at the time. Uh, but the people quickly were like, look, we don't know any Thai people. There's um, there's some there's some bars of like um, the basically prostitution bars that we know where, where there's a bunch of bunch of bunch of um, women that are there. Uh, and, and, you know, it was kind of like, oh, we, we laughed and oh, that's not going to work. And at, at the end of the conversation, it was like, you know what, we don't have any good ideas here. And uh, we sent somebody to one of these uh, basically prostitution bars because we were the idea was, could we find somebody who maybe had like a sister or a brother or somebody in Thailand who could help us get this thing done last minute? And this guy shows up. He comes back a couple of hours later. And he has he he found this woman who used to be a school teacher. She used to teach English in outside of Bangkok. And she she did this translation project for us within 24 hours. She nailed it to the point where the client came back and said, we are willing to give you the entire country uh, translation work moving forward because this work was better than anything the bigger company ever did. And. It was like, okay, well, maybe maybe now we're going to turn into a translation company. It seems like a good opportunity. And we gave this woman a, a job offer, uh, and she turned us down. It turned Ooh. out that we couldn't we couldn't afford her. She was uh, not interested in changing jobs. She uh, was making a lot more money, and she, <laughs> no no joke, she said that her current job uh, was 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 more steady uh, and almost like safer. Than going into corporate world, she didn't. She didn't trust the corporate world. She trusted um, doing what she was doing, and that's a weird example of, you know, unexpected, unexpected moments or, or answers to, to to solve these problems. And it was kind of a weird one, but 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 there you go. I you know ideas come in in the most unlikely of places. You did say that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. There you go. So you you were warned. Um, <laughs> we we were. Yeah, no. I, I think that you know when you have these situations uh, like these economic downturns, there's tons of people that are just there's talent out there and there's ideas that are out there. And if you've if you've got the ability to harness that talent, those ideas to get those communications flowing. That's where the next big ideas, that's where the next big companies or opportunities come out of. Uh, I think that this type of adversity results in massive bursts of creativity. Hopefully yeah. better than the example I just gave. But I, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people find your book, though? Because uh, this is fascinating. and I, I could talk about this all day. But Yeah, the book comes out uh, June 16th. Okay. Uh, in North America, it, I think it comes out later in the summer in other parts of the world, but 
you know, again, with everything digital, I think the ebook is there. So you can get an ebook, you can get the um, hardcover book. That's you can get it on any major website, Amazon, uh, a couple of the others. My website will have information on it, which is leadershipnomad.com. And right on that front page is a link to more info on the book. I, ha- I have a newsletter that goes out just once a once a month. I don't want to bother people too much, which just has a couple of specific ideas for people that are trying to re-aim, reposition themselves from a global perspective. So that would be a, a another good resource. And we'll, we'll be doing book promotions. Um, I'm doing a lot of team sessions where I'm walking people through some of this data that I was alluding to, because it's a really good way to get teams to start talking about this, especially those who are now more in a, uh, you know, in a remote situation that they weren't in maybe even a couple of weeks or months ago. So that's, that's where I would get started. Okay. All right. And the last question I have is the mission statement of the podcast and my, and, and my, my life, which is usually difference to make a difference. So how do mm. you use your difference to make a difference? Look, I, my the thing that I, I think gets me out of bed in the morning or whatever the time zones and uh, things you know whenever I'm getting out of bed, uh, it, what I'm trying to do is get people across the planet to get over, get through these invisible roadblocks that cause misunderstanding and um, and, and mistakes. I'm trying to get people to fast track their way through that, to be able to innovate and create and solve problems. That, that's, what, that's what drives me. And these are the ideas. This is the survival guide tips that I'm trying to uh, get into as many hands and minds as possible to help people do that. I love it. I love it. There you have it. Cal talking about how he can use his difference to make a difference. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. You've uh, you've gone very in depth on uh, a lot of cross cultural issues and solutions, but also people skills. So I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the time. I, I've always always loved these conversations, and I love the stuff that you're doing. So keep keep it up. Thank you, Cal. The pleasure is mine. Until next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 